You're listening to The Big Show on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back. New grass on the field down in Dunedin where the Blue Jays are getting ready for the upcoming Blue Jays season. My name is Matt Rose. He's Patty Dumas. Welcome inside. It's hour three of The Big Show in the morning. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour two will be up shortly for you to grab uh, on your podcast, your podcatcher, Apple, Spotify, or Google. So make sure you go grab that as well. But right now, we go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to talk to Ben Wagner. He is the Blue Jays radio play-by-play announcer. Good morning, Ben. How are you, my man? Hey, listen, anytime the sun is on my shoulders, I'm around baseball, gloves are popping, bats are cracking. It is a great time of year, and it is an outstanding time of year to be around the uh, Toronto Blue Jays here in Dunedin. That sounds nice. Uh, here it's uh, minus 23, <laughs> minus 30 with the wind chill, and uh, snow likely coming this morning. So, uh, yeah. I promise Woo! you on Saturday afternoon across the airwaves, we will make you feel much, much warmer. And then on Sunday is our first TV broadcast, so we'll actually get to show you uh, the stunning <laughs> oh, sunshine good. and green grass and make you feel... Make you feel like mid-season form. How about that? Well, that'll be nice. Uh, I've been locked on the reporters down in Dunedin, all the Twitter and uh, a lot of videos, and there, there's a lot of green grass, and it makes me jealous, but I'll be excited to watch on the weekend as well. What's your excitement level? I know it's just spring training and there's way too much of it, but just to get in the booth again and call a game, what's your excitement level? Oh, this is the best time of year for me. Yeah. Uh, I love it. You know, you're shoulder to shoulder for hours with – coaches and players and executives in a very relaxed environment spring training is great for so many reasons um you you mentioned it and hit it spot on it's way too long it's about two two (laughs) weeks two and a half weeks way too long uh and it's designed for five guys (laughs) that is the starting pitching rotation uh, and everybody else just has to grind through it um everybody that i talked to too and i mean not to get negative you know on the length of the schedule length of spring training because there will be a point where even the fans are like all right we enough of this let's let's get it into action and get it into high gear and make the games count for real absolutely but this is such a great time to be around the blue jays to be around other ball clubs for all those things that we just talked about the relaxed environment um where you get it from everybody. I mean, you get the sense of excitement from Bo Bichette, and you get it from Addison Barger, you know, a guy that's just trying to make his way through his first major league camp, get as many reps as possible. He's in hitting groups with Bo and Springer and Vlad. He's out on the diamond, you know, taking reps next to Matt Chapman. And that's the kind of stuff that you like to watch, and you're allowed to get as close to it in spring training and from a fan perspective, too, they finally have the PDC open where fans can come in for a couple hours a day and watch the drills and batting practice. But, you know, you get you get closer to the guys in spring training than you do in the regular season. Yeah, no one's lost yet. Right, right. Everybody's undefeated every day you roll out of bed. There you go. Uh, yesterday, you got a little bit of a behind-the-scenes look at the timer with uh, one of the multiple changes that we're seeing to the rules this season, and, and they're pretty significant this year, I must say, but what have been your takeaways on how the digital clock has been worked in, and, and have you seen any trouble, or has this seemed like it's come pretty easy to the Blue Jays? What have you made of this in just a couple of days? By and large, I don't think this is going to disrupt anything in terms of can a player execute what he's been asked to do? You know, get into the box, stay in the box, 
you know, 15 seconds is actually a pretty significant amount of time in between pitches. Um, there are a couple of guys with runners on. You worry about, you know, is this timer going to expire and maybe have an impact? Uh, the good news is, and Major League Baseball was here last week, and we had a great, uh, a great on-field demo with Joe Martinez, former major league pitcher, and he's kind of been the face of this thing going through all the camps. Uh, And we got a look at the new bases. We got a look at the time system. Uh, One thing that Major League Baseball has really, really drilled home is that the umpires will enforce this from the very first game, from the very first pitch of a ball game. This is going to be enforced. So I like that. There's no grace period here because until you, you jump in the spotlight, it's never going to feel real. And that's, that's kind of where they got away from it in the timers. The last couple of, you know, test runs that they did, 18 and 19, where they were trying to, you know, pick up the pace, they've never really enforced it. Uh, this is enforced. There will be violations, runners moved, all that stuff. So the timer is going to get a lot of our focus, and I think, in conversation. But the one rule that I think will be uh, more difficult for pitchers to adjust to than than anybody that's on the bases or in the batter's box is the disengagement rule you know where a guy messes up with maybe he doesn't hear and instinctively he steps off the rubber that's a disengagement because he doesn't hear the pitch calm device or if there's sweat in his eye you know the letter of the law now states you cannot disengage and it's going to be you, know, you get two of them on the third one you have to record an out on the bases. So, or a guy can just take off, you know, so it's, or it's a balk. Uh, so that, that'll be, that'll be really interesting to see how guys figure this out and also obviously how it's placed. Ben, uh, one of the other changes uh, that major league baseball makes is uh, the ban of the shift and the Jays. They were a very shift friendly team last year. It's only second to the Dodgers, I believe in uh, most balls in play that they, that came against the shift. How do you think the, the John Schneider and the coaching staff is setting up these, these infielders to play now that they got to have two guys on the, both sides of second base? Yeah. Not, not only do the blue Jays shift a lot. I mean, they shift and change positions within a single at bat, right? A yeah. guy gets a two strike count on him. Bo Bichette and Santiago Espinal or Whit Merrifield or Kevin Biggio, they would flip flop mid a B. So mm-hmm. the blue Jays will look a lot differently. How they have designed play over the last five years is going to be completely different. And there's so much focus on how the blue Jays did it on the diamond. You have to remember they were one of the more creative teams in the outfield yes. shifting yep. and deploying their alignment. And yes, the four-man outfield was used a lot, but so were the drifts, if you will, uh, of a center fielder opening the gap or Teoscar Hernandez, Lourdes Goriel Jr., their position from the corner. So the Blue Jays were really, really all in on outfield alignments. Now, they solved that by changing the personnel. They went out, they got Kevin Kiermeyer. George Springer is going to play predominantly in right field. You've got Dalton Varsho out there. You know the versatility of Whit Merrifield and Calvin Bishio. Mm-hmm. They can go out there if these guys are going to get days off as well. Uh, Mark Budzinski, I, I joked with him the other day, who handles the outfielder as the first base coach for the Blue Jays. I said, you've got to be the happiest coach in camp right now. <laughs> because you, you, you went out and you improved the defense Overall, not just one position, Mm -hmm. but overall, the defense got better. So from an outfield perspective, I really feel the Blue Jays are going to be outstanding. Uh, On the diamond, 
I don't think that the Blue Jays are going to completely give up and say, here, we're back to our traditional alignment. So uh, the Blue Jays will not shift. Uh, I'm coining the term. The Blue Jays will be in a drift. Yeah, a drift, how they position Bo Bichette, how they maneuver, even Matt Chapman over at third base. If they really feel that their data is going to tell them that that hole is going to expose balls in play, if you're not lined up, I think they're going to move Matt Chapman. I think you're going to see – Bo Bichette play right up the middle still within the guidelines. You can't be right behind second base anymore. Mm-hmm. You certainly can't go over to the other side, but I think the Blue Jays are still going to be pretty significant in how they align their defenders. And we're, we're going to start to see it right away. And that's why I'm really excited about Saturday and then Sunday with the games really good and rolling. John Schneider, uh, hero John Schneider. I want to talk about yeah. that. He, uh, you know, saved a, saved a lady there on over the weekend who was choking um, and then, you know, he said yesterday, like he's way, he wants this club to take the next step. You know, they, 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 I'm sure there's everyone on that roster that was on that field against Seattle in that game too, has an awful taste in their mouth. What are these next steps that Schneider and this team needs to take here to, 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 to get back to where they want to be here? You know, that bitterness has lingered for two years. Remember mm-hmm. how close the Blue Jays were getting to the playoffs at the end of 2021 yep. and then absolutely coming unraveled in game two against the Seattle Mariners. And, you know, that, that of course that series could have changed in a number of different ways. Uh, we've spent a lot of time talking about the improved outfield uh, balls that just didn't get caught. Um, so those little things, the little things, the, you know, the mark going all the way back to the Marcus Simeon double dribble on that final, what should have been the final out and a bad throw over to first base um, and a number of other little things that reared their ugly head over the last two years. That is the difference. That's where good teams take the next step. And that's why attention to detail is such a point of emphasis for John Schneider. And you, you hear that in the messaging. You hear that, and this is, this is a crafted message, right? Uh, the, the Blue Jays' as coaching staff, they get together a couple of times over the offseason. They come up with points that they really want to drill home. And the accountability and attention to detail. And you hear that, of course, but now for this is my take. And I've, you know, I'm in Dunedin and I've I've been at the complex since the very early phases of February here, watching the pitchers and the position players get out there. Uh, You see that. Uh, There's a lot less horsing around in this clubhouse right now. Uh, It is very much business like atmosphere. And the accountability and the attention to details, just not muddling through things, uh, we're seeing it. You know, and, and a couple of the keys are really pressed into some of the like the silly stuff, like the drills. You know, where you're running, running through first base, and then the guys line up around first base and they go to second, or they come back to first base and they go first to third. You know, the the point and the emphasis on Don Mattingly yelling at guys, yeah. to, you know, make sure they cut the bases properly. Mark Budzinski's right there. And, you know, John Schneider turned around and he told a group, he goes, that's going to be a key for a couple of wins. How we go from first to third. He goes, it might happen in April. It might happen in July. And you know, when things get really, really tight down the month of September, if the Blue Jays are positioned where they're supposed to be, you know that something is going to make a difference in a ball game here or there. And as you know, we're only two years removed from one game being the biggest difference. And certainly attention to details and balls that weren't caught made the biggest, made the biggest outcome for the Blue Jays and ended their season. 
Now there, there was I don't know if it's it's true or not. There might have been some rumors. I don't know. Schneider said something about it, but you, you talk about the seriousness and taking it more of a business like approach. Uh, a lot of people are doing you know whether you like it or not. The home run jacket. Are they taking it away? Is it is it gone? Is it, are they coming back with something else? What what's happening there? Yeah. <laughs> um, I I don't know. It's certainly it's not hanging in the clubhouse right now. <gasps> I would be the, the the feeling that I get is that there will be some sort of celebration. I don't think it will be the home run jacket. I think the uh, I think the jacket has run its course. Yeah. Um, I and. I get the sense. I get the sense that there will be celebrations in in different ways. That it's not necessarily going to be just for home runs, uh, but I think I think the threads are going to be shoved to the back of the closet. I'm looking forward to the formal handshakes with every member of the Jays in the dugout after every home yep. run. That's what I'll be looking for. Uh, you've sequenced. I, I think this will be yes. choreographed. There, there are no formalities with the Blue Jays. I mean, they've all got their their secret handshakes. Yep. Even the coaches do. I don't know if you, you <laughs> notice this, but like even the coaches have like their own handshake as they walk down the line coming off the field after the watch that. Well, you mentioned like yeah. training camp. There's a lot of time, and if you're not a starting Practicing. pitcher, you got to get some, you got to fill some time here. Work on a couple yeah, of things. You got to do something for the 14 yeah. hours. This is why the spring training is as long as it is, Ben. Is they need to work on their they handshakes. Got to work on their handshakes in case they hit some dingers, man. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Don Mattingly. You mentioned him a little bit, but how has his impact been as far as those attentions to detail and and maybe even helping out some of the guys at first? Well, he is a high caliber player from, you know, nine gold gloves, the way that he put the ball in play. I mean, he is, he's a dude. He's got a presence when he walks into that clubhouse. I mean, he's got more street cred than, uh, you know, it lump, lump together people yeah. that are around the Blue Jays organization, right? You just don't have that kind of resume in a lot of cases. A lot of major league teams don't have that, that kind of resume. Don Mattingly does. And he has been attached to the hip on the field and around first base uh, with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Brandon Belt just got here. Uh, anybody that's going to spend some time around first base, they've got Mattingly over there. And, you know, it's not only the, the level of play that he had as a player. He's got a tremendous, tremendous background now as a coach and a manager. And he certainly sees the game differently than a lot of people involved in major league baseball right now. So it's a, it's a quiet demeanor. It's certainly um, not going to be boisterous and, you know, he's he's certainly not out there, you know, tripping across the field at anybody, whether it's in in good nature or even in constructive criticism, but you're certainly aware, you know, when Don is talking to, whoever is around for his base about footwork, about tags, about anything. Uh, he's certainly a guy and he's going to be somebody that John Schneider relies on because of that role as a bench coach, you know, John, John, and I had a conversation around batting practice the other day. And I said, you know, what is Don going to emphasize? And, and he's going to talk about lineup construction with Don Mattingly. He's going to give a lot of the bench roles and game planning, to Don Mattingly. And also, I thought this was interesting. The the base running instructs come from Mark Budzinski and a lot of that work. But in terms of the game management, Schneid said he's going to really talk things through 
pregame and postgame, but also in the in-game execution about the running game because mm-hmm. he really wants to be aggressive on the basis and he's going to lean on Mattingly and his experience with that. Do you think that's, like, I don't think that's going to be just the Blue Jays when you look at the size of the bigger bases. Like, were you surprised to see how much bigger they actually were in person? Um, I got I got a feel for how big the bases would jump last year because sure. a couple of them were floating around the complex. So it wasn't as stunning as I think now that it is so exposed with the new rolls and rollouts. And, you know, you do the comparison of the, the old base on top of the new base. And, um, you know, Alex Cora had the great line. It looks like a pizza box. Yeah. Well, it certainly does. Um, it really does. Uh, I, You know, was I overly surprised? No, I wasn't. Um, Bo, Bo and I had a conversation the other day, and he he thought that he can take his game to the next level by being more aggressive on the bases. That was a point of emphasis for him, evaluating the last couple of years, what he could do to make a bigger impact on the game. And he wanted to be a bigger threat on the bases coming into this year. So he said, this is actually going to be great for me uh, because by and large, one, I get the sense from many organizations that they will be more aggressive and it's twofold. Yes, the bases play into it, but so does the restrictions on the pitcher. Like I mentioned, the disengagements, right? You can do it twice within a single at bat, but if you do it the third time, you've got to get an out recorded on the bases or um, you've got, a balk being assessed. So mm-hmm. that jitterbug kind of style from Bobachet and others, I think is really going to factor in this year. Some of the videos that you guys have had of the side-by-side pitching, uh, first off, how many times do you flinch? I know you're behind a, a fence, but those things still got a little bit of heat on them. And second, what was your reaction when you're seeing Alec Manoa standing next to Ricky Tiedemann and they're both firing him off? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think I... I created a lot of buzz with social media when I <laughs> fired up that video yesterday morning, didn't I? Um, it makes fans salivate because we have heard over the last couple of years, you know, a number of names being floated out and you're like, all right, you know, that we get it. The organization is high on a number of guys. Nobody, nobody creates the buzz like Ricky Tiedemann. Ricky Tiedemann has created Uh, starting last year when we kind of got more access to players and coaches and and front office personnel, anytime Ricky does anything on live BP side session, this dude draws a crowd. I I mean, past Manoa, past Nate Pearson, past other names, you know, that have been jockeyed about over the last couple of years. This is a guy that has everybody waiting and just as he's percolating in the minors uh, about the stuff about the moxie i was talking with jose barrios as alex manoa and ricky tiedemann were throwing yesterday and i said jose what what are you watching when you're watching these guys and he's picking out a couple of things with manoa specifically i said what's impressed you about ricky tiedemann and his, his eyebrows just raised because the arm is electric and he said his maturity just in the last year has really impressed a lot of guys. And Jose Brios, of course, is you know a guy that's certainly established both in contract and dollars and the amount of time that he's been in the major leagues. And he's had his own bumps and had to figure things out. He said, this guy is talking with a maturity level, a deeper understanding, a look at how veteran players but younger players are going about their business. And then he goes out 
and he executes. He executes everything, and that attention to detail, buzzword again, uh, attention to detail that these young players are instituting right away here has really opened the eyes. And they, you know, when you hear guys of, of certain caliber in the clubhouse and they're taking note of the next wave of players that could be impact and impact arms, especially to jump in the rotation, you know, you've got something. So Ricky Tiedemann obviously is, is one of the best pitchers, not only in the organization, he is one of the best pitching prospects in Major League Baseball this season. Uh, ben, uh, Jays needed to get more lefties in their lineup, and they did that in this offseason by adding, you know, trading for Dalton Varsho, signing Kevin Kiermeyer, and signing Brandon Belt. We know what Belt can bring. Obviously, he's got the injury troubles. We know what Kiermeyer can do as well. We've seen him uh, many times uh, rob Blue Jays of home runs, and, and his bat has done a lot. But Varsho... Probably the more biggest interesting name out of that, but just overall, the lefties in this lineup. How do you think the balance is going to shake out? Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna lengthen the lineup. It's gonna make it easier for the Blue Jays and whoever they're facing to match up. In my opinion, and they had to get they had not only had to get left handed, they had to get impact bats left handed. Yeah. That's the bottom line. You know, you needed impact bats available to come off the bench in late-game situations. The Blue Jays love to pinch hit. They look at matchups. They look at late-game situations. And time and time again, the, the at-bats that the Blue Jays were leaning on, and, and you know we, can, we know who they are. Like Bradley Zimmer last year gave the Blue Jays empty at-bats. It was not a threat. It was not something you know that really you, you looked at pockets of three you could see things coming, and it just did not do damage. And the Blue Jays have to get some damage out of left-handed hitters. And the most intriguing name for me, yes, we know what Kevin Kiermaier is, Brandon Belt, bumpy years, a couple of injuries, you know, and significant setbacks. Uh, he's been given a clean bill of health. And the Blue Jays will be careful with him going through spring training. You know, he's elevated in age as well at this stage of his career. So they're going to get him through spring training, not drive him through spring training, let's say. They want 100% fresh legs with Brandon Bell once the bell rings for opening day. Dalton Varsho, as you mentioned, is the name that I'm most intrigued in. I think with this lineup lengthening, if they get a little pop from Dalton Varsho, he might be a guy that breaks up in that top third of the order, those right-handed hitters. When you go with George Springer, you go with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., are you going to lump in Bo Bichette right away? Bo is a guy that puts the ball in play, has an RBI opportunity. Uh, he's got tremendous speed when he gets on the bases. You know, you plug somebody like Varsho in there that's got the pop plus the speed, a left-handed hitter. I think the Blue Jays get a really dynamic set at the beginning of every ball game, and then in late-game situations too, if they can really get Varsho rolling here. Ben, uh, I've enjoyed the chat. Uh, we've kept you for about you know twenty minutes. How is that for a little warm up ahead of Saturday? I like it. I like it. It gets, uh, gets my blood pumping. I'm not going to lie. There we go. <laughs> uh, and it's always great to talk baseball this time of year. I mean, there's so much going on, so many expectations, and a lot of enthusiasm with this Blue Jays club. They are going to be a lot of fun to watch again. And uh, you know, the, the, the trial runs over here. You know, this is the window. This is the window mm -hmm. that the Blue Jays in the front office kind of pointed at. And certainly now that Bo and Vlad and this young core 
have gotten the reps and they've gone through 162s and they've had so much adversity around the pandemic and the border restrictions and calling three different places home over the course of two years ago. Um, they, they've got their chops. They've got their chops and now it's go time. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll be listening coast to coast. You have fun, Ben. Appreciate it, man. I certainly will. We'll have fun on Saturday. Talk there to you go. Then. Ben Wagner, he's the Blue Jays radio play-by-play announcer. Mm. And uh, also, I uh, was just seeing this on Twitter, uh, I believe that some of our team got nominated for some Canadian Screen Awards. Ooh. So we'll get you some details on that later on uh, in the program as well. Uh, but around the corner, uh, we're a little bit behind, so we got to hit the break. Yep. Uh, Craig Morgan going to join us to talk some coyotes. We're going to ask him, how's things going in Tempe? What's the cost of Shane Goss to spare? Why is he still playing? Jacob Chikrin's still a coyote. Did you know that, Craig? We'll ask Who defense was still playing? Why? <laughs> we'll, we'll ask him all of that as uh, we move closer to uh, the end of our show and uh, closer to Flames and Coyotes. 7.30 is when they're going to drop the puck tonight. We'll talk to Craig Morgan next. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hey, it's Haley Salvian from The Athletic. For a look at the latest on your Calgary Flames and NHL news, go click and subscribe to the Hockey Central 960 podcast. While you're there, please rate and review the show. And welcome back to the show. Final segment of the hour. It is the big show in the morning with Russick and Rose. Russick will be back tomorrow. He's Patty Dumas. I am Matt Rose. Just chatted with Ben Wagner, a little Blue Jays chat. As uh, spring training underway, they'll play their first spring training game on Saturday. Ben joined us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Using the same secret recipe since 1975, dining at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Take out or delivery at 403-248-3344. And we go right back down the hotline to talk to Craig Morgan, Arizona Coyotes writer for Phoenix Sports, PHNX. Uh, you can find him on Twitter as well. And uh, he's the man we go to whenever there's anything Arizona Coyotes. Welcome to the show, Craig. Thanks for taking some time. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me. Craig, did want to ask you about the crowds. We'll get there in a second. But how are they winning these games? 5-0-4 in their last nine. Yeah, you got to start with goaltending. They've been getting some terrific goaltending performances from Karel Vemelka and from Connor Ingram recently, who's yeah. just been lights out in net for them. Uh, a guy that they picked up off of waivers from Nashville at the start of the season. And, you know, he had a bit of a rough start, but I think you look since mid-December, he's his numbers are elite. And I am talking elite, like save percentage over 930. This team gives up a high volume of shots. So it's it's hard for them to stay in games, but that's been the biggest reason. And then they're they're getting timely scoring. Guys like, well, Nick Schmaltz and Clayton Keller have a lot of chemistry together. They're producing Lawson Krause is on track for another career high in goals. They're just getting timely scoring from guys in their lineup. But again, the the biggest ingredient here, without a doubt, is their goaltending. What is going to happen with the two big defensemen? We'll start with Jacob Chikrin. The 24-year-old is signed for two more years after this and has been in trade rumors for seemingly a decade at this point. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I saw a meme the other day, you know, the year is like 2069 and Jacob yeah. Dickert is still on the trade. <laughs> you see that with like a long gray beard. Yep. Uh, I'm sure everyone knows, everyone who follows the NHL knows by now that he was held out for what the team was calling trade-related reasons. Well, he practiced with the team yesterday and that was the first time he'd been with the group for a while. We're still waiting to find out. We'll find out this morning if he's actually going to play tonight against the Flames. I don't know what's going to happen here. I, I can tell you that while he was held out for trade-related reasons, no trade was close. Hmm. They were not close to dealing him. So 
I know there were a lot of rumors out there, a lot of bad rumors out there, but there was never a deal that was close. They are working on it, however, and, and as you guys know, all it takes is one phone call right at the trade deadline, which is when most GMs seem to do their business this time of year, and he could be gone. But the, the asking price is high to a lot of people. I'm not sure. When I look at comparables, I don't think it's as high as other people do. I look at some of the recent trades and think it's right in line. This guy has two more years of term on his contract at a a very reasonable cap hit of four point six million dollars. He's he's gonna be in your top three on the on the blue line for a while. You get him for three playoff runs. So I, I get it. I get why Bill Armstrong is basically asking for two first round picks or the equivalent of those, and then probably a, another prospect or a second round pick. <sighs> It's fascinating to watch how this is all played out because Bill Armstrong has obviously not shown that he's going to waver from his ask at all. Who is more likely to be moved before the deadline, Jacob Chikrin or Shane Gostisbehar? I think the latter. I think Shane Gostisbehar is, is probably one of the two most likely guys to be traded off this roster, the other being Nick Bukestad, for which there's been a lot of interest. Uh, Gostisbehar is much easier to take on as a rental. Um, he actually doesn't make... Any much, if anything, in salary anymore because he had a big signing bonus that was already paid out. I, I think he's a much easier player to absorb uh, given the complexity of, of the Jacob Chikrin deal. Gostas Bear, as you guys probably know or remember, they, they got literally got from the Philadelphia Flyers for nothing. All they were doing was giving the Flyers cap relief. And there was a lot of talk that he had lost the first step, that he wasn't the dynamic player that he had been. Well, Shane Gostabair has proved that narrative completely wrong. He has been a very, very productive player. You know, he, he is who he is. He's going to help your power play. He can make that quick first pass. He can, he can carry the puck out of the zone. He's still prone to some glaring turnovers, but he can do a lot for a team, and I think there is a market for him right now. Now, uh, Craig, is it just the defensemen in Chikorin and Gossespierre that are getting the the most love? I know you mentioned Nick Bukestad as well. He's having a great year. UFA at the end of the year as well might be a little bit more intriguing to some teams. But uh, is it just the cap situation from other teams that might make you know if somebody came across uh, you know Bill Armstrong's desk and said, "Hey, what could you give us for Lawson Kraus? Here's what you get," or is it just too tough for them to move something like that? Yeah, I mean the caps going to impact a lot of teams as we know that it's been a flat cap and a lot yeah. of teams are it's dollar in dollar out um yeah nick bustad I, I can say there are like a dozen teams that have called about him i think he's another guy that's very likely to move i don't know why the lawson kraus rumors persist out there yeah. lawson kraus is not on the trade block lawson kraus is not going anywhere they just signed him to a lengthy extension they love him he could be a captain of this team down the road so I don't know mm-hmm. why those rumors continue to persist. Again, Lawson Krause isn't going anywhere. I think that's just people just say, oh, Arizona, they're, they're open for business. Everybody's, Everybody's for sale, right? No, no, okay. that's probably right. not it. But they, right. I'd they, love to have this player. Okay. Yeah, like, exactly. Fine. For sure. But I, I, they do have, obviously, their saw groups. And I, a guy like a Clayton Keller, if he was, you know, anywhere else, he'd be talked about all the time. Just just talk about Clayton Keller and just the special player that he is going forward for this group. As, as they enter a new era of Arizona Coyotes, how hockey, how important will Clayton Keller be a part of that system? Yeah, it's first of all, just to, to give a little bit of perspective, it's funny, two years ago, Clayton Keller's contract, which of course, John Shika, the former GM signed him to, the contract extension, was seen as an albatross around the league. You'll mm-hmm. never move that deal. He'll never come close to living up to it. Well, nobody's saying that anymore because <laughs> you're talking about a guy who was 
close to a point per game player now looking at you know rarefied air in terms of coyotes history there's believe it or not only one player in coyotes history has ever eclipsed 80 points keith kachuk he's got a chance to do that he's been a dynamic player playing as i mentioned earlier with nick schmaltz they have unbelievable chemistry on the wings the thing that amazes me about keller's constant production with this team Look at who their centers have been. For for a long time, they're playing with Travis Boyd, mm-hmm. who was like a maybe a fourth line center with the Maple Leafs. They're playing with Barrett Hayton now, who I think has made great strides. But I, I think Barrett Hayton is at best a middle six center in this league. Clayton Keller has never played with a dynamic center, and yet he is still producing offense at a, an unbelievable clip. He has really come into his own. And you're right, if he were in another market and, and if he was playing with a different center a lot of people would be talking about this guy right now. One of the players that I've uh, really loved watching with the Coyotes, and he's probably one of the main reasons why the team's playing so well, uh, is Carl uh, Veshmelka. Uh, I know there's his name's been out there bantered with rumors. If it's Vegas, if it's Seattle, teams maybe looking for a little bit more goaltending help. But uh, speak to just Car- uh, how Veshmelka's been. He's got three shutouts on the year. Uh, I know his goals against are high, but again, it's the Arizona Coyotes. It, it's tough right now, so I get it. But like, yeah. just talk to Ve- about Vejmelka and how good he's been. Only twenty six, and good contract still left uh, left uh, until he becomes a UFA in twenty twenty six. Yeah, definitely. And as you mentioned, goals against average is a team stat. It's, yeah. it's not a good stat at all for measuring goalies. Like, like goals goal saved above expected is one of those that people will look at, and he's he's been among the leaders, like top ten all yeah. season, and that does speak to how well he's played. Um, it, they they brought him in last year. He was, of course, originally a Nashville draft pick, um, but they never could get him to come over because they wanted to develop in the ECHL, and he thought he would develop better over in, in Chechia than he could here. Well, they had a couple scouts that spotted him, and they brought him in last season. He was a surprise to even make the roster. They had two other guys mm-hmm. that they thought would be one-two, but he played so well in camp that he earned the backup spot behind Carter Hutton. And then Carter Hutton, of course, struggled mightily before getting injured. And suddenly Vanelka became their starter. He's been, I mentioned this at the top and you guys were asking me the biggest reason why the Coyotes have this nine game point streak. He, he's been a big reason. Like a Connor Ingram has heated up recently. Carl Vanelka has been doing it most of the season. Um, so I, I'm interested in that one. You mentioned the trade possibility. I, I don't know how teams are thinking about it. I, I look at a bunch of teams out there that could definitely use help. Their goaltending situations are questionable. But when you look at them, Elka, he's never played in the postseason. Mm-hmm. And his, his track record is short. So are you convinced that he's going to be the guy that puts you over the top? Are you convinced he can perform in the postseason? That's a lot of questions around him. And then the other thing is, the Coyotes aren't just going to sell him off for some mid-level asset. Exactly. I mean, they'd, they'd probably have a high asking price for a guy who's performed this well in a very difficult situation. So it's a complicated trade. I, I don't know if it's going to happen, but again, there are a bunch of teams out there that really, really have questionable situations in goal as they head toward the postseason. How was the uh, decision to send Dylan Gunther back to junior received? Uh, not well by Dylan, but I, I think they expected <laughs> that. I, I got to talk to him a few days later, and quite frankly, he was pissed. He was he was not happy with the situation at all. Um, but to his credit, he said, but I understand, you know, I, I can't sit here and sulk. I, I can't get angry about it. I have to go out and just prove to them that I don't belong here. And, you know, he's averaging like a, a point and a half already with a, a brand new cast of characters that he's never played with. So 
he's ripping it up with Seattle. They have a chance to make a very deep run. They could they could win the dub. They could go to the Memorial Cup. So that's why the Coyotes wanted him there. They wanted him to play in meaningful games instead of being here, you know, after the trade deadline when the roster is stripped down and this team's, well, theoretically at least, losing games for nothing. <laughs> they're, not, they're not doing that right now. But they, they just wanted him to play in meaningful games. They didn't want him to be in these, you know, these awful situations. And it, it's a short stint, right? So yeah. he'll make this run for a couple months, and then he'll be right back at camp. Um, and so far he is, like I said, while he's not happy about it, they knew that would be the case. He's played well up there. Uh, Got to ask you about uh, the Mullet Arena. Well, first off, four straight home wins for the Coyotes. They're obviously enjoying playing there. But what has the atmosphere been like for a lot of these games? It's a fun atmosphere. Right? It's it's obviously different. You're you're missing the entire upper deck, and even the the lower bowl is only thirteen rows. So it's it's a small venue. It it just feels weird to have an NHL game there. But everything is just on top of you. And I've heard multiple visiting players say this that. It just it's it's an adjustment when you come in there. There, you know, the backdrop is not as deep. It's, you feel like everyone's on top of you, even though they're you know no closer than they are in the lower bowl and other arenas. So I think it's an adjustment for visiting teams. It it has been for the most part a pretty raucous atmosphere. So I'm sure that's playing into the reason that the Coyotes are a stunning 13 eight and two at home. Is it usually a pretty pro Coyotes crowd? Like it's not like when you know some of the other markets when the visitors almost take over it depends on the the opponent there there are teams that always travel well yeah. so it, yeah it depends the, the Leafs we've had some nights where yeah yeah we've had some nights where it definitely felt like the the home fans were outnumbered but yeah. you know what they they'll take the revenue where, wherever they can get it right now it's not an easy situation and you know this is season one of four seasons that they're going to play in that arena so it's, it's going to be a tough go until they hopefully get the uh, the boat and uh, start building the new arena just down the river. Well, how's things going with that? Well, the uh, both both campaigns are out in full force now. The Coyotes have launched their campaign, the Yes campaign. But they have opponents. They have some opponents, uh, mostly local residents and then one uh, trade union that are opposing them. So we'll, we'll see. Like uh, Initially, when they, when they did internal polling, when the city of Tempe did internal polling, they found that there were more than 60% of Tempe residents in favor of it. We'll see how the campaigns impact it. We don't have a vote until May 16th. That's when we'll know for certain whether it's going forward or not. But like I said, both campaigns are out doing their work now. Right in between the draft lottery and the actual draft itself should be uh, an exciting time for Coyotes fans. Craig, really appreciate the time today, man. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. There you go. Craig Morgan. Mm. From Phoenix Sports, Arizona Coyotes writer, uh, has covered the Coyotes. Uh, he's been the go-to guy on the Yotes for a while yes. now. Um, and we uh, power through the technical difficulties. There you go. And a great chat. Yeah, it's really. an intriguing team it is a, for being a bottom feeder. It is. It, it, I was just looking at their cap friendly. It's like, they oh, got yeah, they're like 80 million, million in dollars. deadline cap space. <laughs> Do you say 80? 80 million they in could get deadline? A, a full roster? They could get a full NHL roster at the deadline if they wanted to. Whoa. <laughs> Good for them. Good for them. And then just the pick prospect. I mean, yeah, you got you got to make it work. It's a good big sports market. So you mean how they have nine picks in the second yeah. round over the next three drafts? <laughs> yeah, it's, you, you got to hit on those guys. And it, like it looking more and more likely, it's not going to be Connor Bedard walking through those that dressing room to play in the Mullet Arena for the next three years. But hey, if it's uh, if it's Adam Fantilli, if it's uh, you know Leo Carlson, 
you know, like, like that's not a bad uh, consolation prize to a guy like Connor Bedard for sure. And it, it, Connor Bedard was not going to fix the Arizona Coyotes overnight. No way. No, there is a lot more that needs. He to would be, help. He would. He would be a great boost. But you know, it's a good group. They got good players. I think the coach is right. I know this coach is not going to be around to see this thing full through and to see the Coyotes back in the postseason. But Andre Turney coming from juniors, coming from what he's done with the Canada national team to to the, to the NHL. Been, Points in nine straight. Yeah. like It's their second longest point streak since being in the desert. 12 yeah. is the record for them. They have had... <laughs> they're also... So they've won four straight home games. Their most recent five-game home winning streak was uh, in 2019. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, they had one in 2015, ah. and prior to that, they won eight straight at home in the 2013 season, Oof. which that might have been, was that the year that they went to the Western No, Conference it was Conference Finals 2011. Okay. Well, good for them. Yeah. Uh, a couple of notes here before we go. Um, Ryan Johansson underwent surgery today, that coming from Elliot Friedman about 40 minutes ago. Uh, he played yesterday, but left the arena on... when. On crutches, his right foot was in a walking boot. No weight on that foot. And then Elliot Friedman reporting that he did have surgery today. So if the Predators needed another blow to their playoff hopes, uh, that's one. We talked about it earlier. The reason that the Predators aren't having as good of a year is that all the guys who had career years last year have regressed back to kind of what you would expect for their career numbers. And Ryan Johansson, one of the guys that I would look to uh, right in that vein. As for the Flames, uh, they were called Walker Dewar yesterday. Michael Stone placed on injured reserve. Uh, so it'll probably be Dennis Gilbert. Wonder if we do see a lineup change on the fourth line there tonight when mm-hmm. the Flames play the Coyotes. It's going to be a 7.30 start. And I did want to mention this as well. A little love for the Mount Royal Cougars. Yes. Uh, U Sports leading scorer Riley Sawchuk from the Mount Royal Cougars has signed with uh, the Detroit Red Wings AHL affiliate, the Grand Rapids Griffins. He is on a professional trial for the rest of the season and also has a one-year AHL deal that will kick in next season. Good for him. That's awesome. And uh, I, go Cougs. Yeah, you, you, And uh, shout-out to Riley Sawchuk. Man, U Sports uh, getting better and better and better each year. Uh, looking to link up with one of the Dinos players again this week. Uh, has headed there. Yeah, ahead of there. should try and get Riley Sawchuk on. That would also be a possibility we yeah. should probably get looking at too as well. So, yeah. Put it in your stratosphere. I will. Put some carrier pigeons out there, like the text line said earlier. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening. You guys have been great, as always. George is back tomorrow. Don't fret. He's had his vacation. He's ready to go. You're well I'm rested. looking forward to him returning. Uh, we've been live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. They're your local experts for basement waterproofing, sump pumps, crawl spaces, foundation repair, and radon mitigation, all things basement. And visit DL Basement Systems, calgary.com. Uh, big show replay coming at you next. Calgary Hitman taking on the Winnipeg Ice at 11 o'clock in the morning. You can actually watch one of the Coyotes' prospects in Connor Geeky in this game, as well as, um, well, there's a lot of prospects. There's Carson Lambos, the wild prospect. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's Matt Savoy, the Buffalo Sabres prospect. There's Zach Estopchuk, the Ottawa Senators prospect. There's Zach Benson, who's probably going to go top five in the 2023 NHL draft. And that's just the Winnipeg Ice. Puck drop at 11 a.m. Uh, <laughs> looking forward to this. The Tell Us Be Brave hashtag end bullying game. And you can listen to it right here. Of course, we've got the Flames later on. 7.30 puck drop. Flames pregame at 6.30 with Pat and Lou. Flames talk goes at 4 with our boy, Pat. Uh, enjoy your day, folks. Stay warm out there. Bye-bye.